possibly with no back? We're good? Oh, okay, so there were no. Okay, does everybody have a study sheet, period? That okay, everybody's got, you guys, wow, okay. Nailed it. There was only one, yay, right. There was only one last week, and so we're down to zero, so like this is just getting better and better. All right, very nice. The, uh, you know, in, in, and I meant to mention during announcements, too, if you could be, uh, pray for Cody. You guys, a lot of you guys had heard some of the sickness that, that, that Cody has going on. Um, it sounds like they've kind of got a, a hold of it. I think it was linked to some dehydration and things like that, but it sounds like he's on the right path. But anytime you're admitted to the hospital, you... He's still walking like <laughs> okay, yes, yes. So we so keep Cody in your prayers. Um, obviously, continue to keep Brother Lou in, in your in your prayers. He, he's he's yeah. Mm-hmm. Goodness sake. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, so keep him in prayer, and there's other things going on. We're glad James is on the up and up with us here after taking that turn and all those things. So, yeah, there, there's lots of stuff going on. Forgive me if I, I'm sure I'm forgetting things, and we always want to. There's so many that we're keeping. Those are some of the fresh and, and new ones that just wanted to, to mention real quick. So, anyway, if you guys have your Bible this morning, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 4. We'll have verses on the screen, but if you have it, We'll be spending some time in, in Luke chapter 4. We're, we're, we're in the middle of a study that's based out of this incredible passage of Luke chapter 4. And if, if you've been here the last, I guess, four weeks, you've seen, you've seen some of what we've been pulling out of that, of that chapter. And, and in this passage, this is where Jesus kicks off his earthly ministry. Okay, He's, he's 30 years old. He's lived his life up to this point, relatively in obscurity, and he kicks off his earthly ministry. And what we find is that Jesus lays out the itinerary for his earthly ministry in this, in this chapter. He lays out what it was that he was on the planet to do, and how he does that is, is he quotes a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61 that was about him. And you see, Jesus came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Hebrews has an unbelievable little passage in there where it talks about this conversation that Jesus and the Father had. And in that conversation that took place, Jesus says, A body thou hast prepared me. And Jesus came to this earth in that body. And in that body, he put the attributes of deity on display so that the world could see what God was like. And, and, and so Jesus came and what he did was he revealed who God was. And, and so Jesus, he ascends back to the Father, right? And then in Acts chapter 2, there's, there's something else that takes place that was pretty unbelievable. Just like Jesus said what happened in John chapter 16, 
the Spirit shows up in that room in Acts chapter 2 where his followers had gathered and they became possessors of the Holy Spirit that he promised he was going to leave. Now, many didn't realize what all was going on, but where this thing was headed is, is that by the time you get out of the book of Acts, those people were the body of Christ. And, and, and again, many didn't realize that until the book of Ephesians, that, because Ephesians is teaching us that. It's teaching us that we are the body of Christ, and since we're the body of Christ, we don't get the creative license to come up with what we ought to be doing around here. We talked about that a lot in the series that me and Corey tag-teamed. We, we don't get that creative license. That's dictated to us by who we are. We're to demonstrate His attributes in His character because we are the body of Christ. And what we've been looking at in this series is, is that it's the same thing with ministry. It's not for us to decide these things as far as ministry is, is concerned. It's already laid out for us. And we're to follow it as the second body of Christ that we are. And, and, and so Jesus lays out his job description in Luke chapter 4. He, he lays out the itinerary for where this whole thing is headed and where his ministry is heading. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been asking ourselves a very important question. What if Jesus didn't come when he did? What if Jesus didn't come when he did? What if that prophecy back in Isaiah chapter 61 that's prophesying about what Jesus came to do, what if that thing is still on ice? What if that thing is still just chilling back there in Isaiah 61, and here we are in this room, and Jesus still hasn't come for the first time? That prophecy is just waiting to be fulfilled, and instead of Jesus coming when he did, he comes now. Who are these people that he would be ministering to now? Because Jesus still wants to minister to the people of the world through the body of Christ, which is now the title that we possess. So we've been looking at what Jesus did while he was here. We've been saying, man, if this is what he did then, this is exactly what he would do now. And now that we're the body of Christ, this is exactly what we should be doing now. And, and, and that's why our ministry should be a, a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, as we've been calling it. Jesus' ministry is the paradigm, it's the example, it's the model. And our ministry, just like two parallel lines that are headed in the same direction, that are accomplishing the same things, and they're only separated by space, our ministry should run parallel to the ministry of Jesus, heading in the same direction, accomplishing the same things, only separated by time. And last week we looked at how Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. And this morning we're going to be looking at how Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, this is where we find the passage I was just alluding to, where Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, and, and he tells us that the prophecy in Isaiah 61, he says, that thing is about me. And he tells us where his ministry is headed. And here's what he says. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because here's the reason he was anointed with the Spirit of God. 
He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and here it is, and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And and so this morning, I I want us to look at how our ministry can be a, a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus as it concerns the brokenhearted. And And just like last week, we're going to follow a similar path as we did last week. There are four things that I believe that the Scripture is teaching us that it's it's going to take as individuals and as a church to to turn some corners in our life and and in our church so that we're approaching the brokenhearted the same way that Jesus did. And, And just like last week, in order to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must... Capture God's heart for the brokenhearted. Number one in your outline, we must capture God's heart of the brokenhearted. That should say four. We'll roll with of. Capture God's heart for the brokenhearted. And, And this answers the question, why? Why should I concern myself with the brokenhearted? And in, in each week as we look at each of these characteristics, what we're going to try to do is just capture the heart of Jesus in this whole thing. Because as it's been said and as it rings true, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. That's right. Something has to happen inside before it's ever going to flesh out to the outside. And, and in order for us to see people the way that God sees them, we've got to feel what He feels. If we're going to see how God sees, we've got to feel how He feels. And if we're going to capture God's heart, I, I can't just simply tell you sad stories and I can't give you heartbreaking statistics. We've got to go to God's Word. It, it, because God's heart is revealed in that book so so would you would you open your heart right now to to what the lord is going to share to us this morning through his word would you just open your heart so that you can we can leave this room with a with a heart like jesus a heart for the brokenhearted in isaiah 53 this is this passage is a prophetic passage it's pointing to the time when jesus is going to come to this earth and he's going to come in a human body. And, and it describes Jesus in an unbelievable way. Would you look at it? Isaiah 53, 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. God possesses all kinds of attributes, y'all, that should make us stand in awe of him. But may we never take for granted that we serve a God that sorrows and a God that grieves. If you take that out of the equation, we've got a big problem on our hands. Because in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it lets us know why it was that he was a man of sorrows and why it was that he was acquainted with grief. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. 
You know why he was a man of sorrows? Do you know why he was acquainted with grief? It's because he became one of us. Had Jesus not become a man, y'all, then the devil, the, the accuser of the brethren, he may have had a case if he got up in our face and said, what's God even know about your life? What's he even know about living? What's he know about real pain? What does he know about real hurt? But Jesus became as one of us. And he was tempted in all points, just like we were. And he came through that whole thing just a little different than we do. He came through all of it without sin. But Hebrews is saying he's touched with the feeling of your infirmities. In other words, he feels what you feel because he became one of us. And because of that, you're never going to feel an emotion that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't feel. When you look back at Jesus' life, there was a group of people that he came to minister to that he loved. The Bible says that he came to his own, though, and his own received him not. One of his closest friends betrayed him, which led to his murder, for goodness sakes. In the midst of that, all of his friends forsook him. Totally forsaken, he was lied about, he was criticized, he was mocked. He was so poor that the Bible said he didn't have a place to lay his head. Not a house, not a pavilion, not even a hut. That's how poor he was. And he came to this planet and he was beaten and he was whipped and he was brutalized. Man, you talk about someone that can know how we feel. He knows that's why Hebrews 4 says he came to this planet and he's touched because he's actually felt it. You, you know that even though he wasn't a sinner, he's even felt brokenhearted. He was brokenhearted because of the separation that he had from God the Father. It, Jesus came through this whole thing without sin. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And because of that, because he became sin for us on that cross, he experienced the separation from the Father. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, in, in anticipation of that separation from his father, in verse 34, he says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. He's so full of sorrow, he feels like he's going to die. In, in the midst of his earthly ministry in Luke 19, he, he comes near, uh, near to a city, to a, to a place where he can overlook the city. And in Luke 19, 41, it says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city. All right, he, he sees past all that's going on in the city, the hustle and bustle and all the, all the stuff that's going on. And he saw the city, but he saw individuals in that city. He saw them as sheep having no shepherd. And look at what it says and wept over it. 
Hebrews 5, 7 says, who in the days of his flesh, in other words, when he was here on this planet during his earthly ministry, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, some of which we have recorded in the Gospels, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, Jesus, it was, he was praying and making supplication through tears and through, through strong crying. What an amazing God that feels what we feel, that grieves when we grieve, that hurts when we hurt. And how about this? A God who cried. Wow. The holy, all-powerful creator cares enough that he he cries. We, we go to Genesis chapter 3 and, and man sins against God. He does, the, he does the one thing he told him not to do. He even warned him of the consequences. Why would you do this? He warned him of the consequences of disobeying. He said that he'll surely die. And, and we learn in those early chapters of Genesis that, that in the cool of the day, the voice of God walked with his creation in the garden. Have you ever taken a second to process that? That's, 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 a, that's an unbelievable thought. You see, they were created because God is love and God wanted an intimate relationship with them. And, and then Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 says, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The, the voice of God. Listen, who, who's the voice of God? You see, John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and what? The Word was God. Listen, when God speaks, when His voice comes out, it's Jesus. The voice of God would come down in the middle of the day in that garden and walk with his creation in the midst of a love relationship with him. But, but on this particular day, before he'd come down in the cool of the day, there's something that had happened. The voice of God looked down into that garden and watched them do the one stinking thing he told them not to do. And the consequences immediately fell upon man. And, 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 and based on the scriptures that we've been looking at this morning, when God watched Adam and Eve eat of that fruit and watched them die spiritually, do you think that he cried? Did his heart ache? Do you think that his heart broke? One of the places that shows the heart of God is, is right here in Genesis. I love this part. We see what happened after sin enters the world, and then death by sin, right? Sin entered the world, and then sin entered into the world, and then death by sin. And in Genesis 3.21, check this out. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins, and he clothed them. You remember how it was during the creation week, y'all? Like with light, for example, he spoke that thing into existence, didn't he? And, he? and you see God speak other things into existence in the creation week. But on this day, after sin entered into the world, 
God made coats of skins. He, he didn't just speak them into existence. You see, and in order for there to be a, a skin, there had to be a death. For the first time on this planet, man was able to see blood as it was sacrificed through a lamb. And that lamb became a skin that God used to clothe them. He made it. Well, how do you know it was a lamb? Genesis doesn't include that detail. Because Proverbs 26, 27, 26 says, The lambs are for thy clothing. But God made coats of skins, listen to the rest of the verse, and clothed them. That's the heart of the God of the Bible. He could have spoke it into existence. He could have done it other ways. But even after the rebellion of his creation, he says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it and I'm going to clothe them. In Psalm 34, 18, it, it says, the Lord is nigh or the Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart. Listen to how Psalm 86, 15 describes our God. But, but thou, O Lord, art a, God, art a God full of compassion. He doesn't just have compassion. He's, he's full of compassion. Psalm 111 and verse 4 says that, that he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Again, in Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He's slow to anger and of great mercy. That's our God. And then in the New Testament, Paul comes along and he's repeating the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter Chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. All the comfort there is and all the comfort that's required for anybody and everybody that's ever going to need the God of all comfort. Have you ever needed the God of all comfort in your life? I know I sure have. If our ministry will ever be a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, it will, because we, it will be because we capture God's heart for the brokenhearted. And then secondly, it's because we develop a biblical attitude toward the brokenhearted. Number two, we develop a biblical attitude toward the brokenhearted. This answers the question, what? What is to be my attitude toward the brokenhearted? And, and here's the dot I want to make sure that, that we're connecting. All, all of these unbelievable characteristics that God has, like God's heart for the brokenhearted, that's a beautiful thing. But do you understand how the heart of God actually gets to the people that he's brokenhearted for? Does God appear to them in a vision? No. That compassion and that heart has always been demonstrated through his people. We're the conduits of God's broken heart that connects healing to them. That's what Romans says in Romans 5.5. 5. 
It says, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, y'all. The reason God has such a heart for the brokenhearted is because God is love. And now He gave us the Spirit of God and He placed us in the body of Christ. And now we become the conduit of His love and His love is shed abroad in our hearts to minister to the brokenhearted. But how, how do we wrap our minds around the attitude that we've got to possess as believers in Jesus Christ toward the brokenhearted? And I think Hebrews 13, 13 begins to, to give us an idea of that. Don't miss this. Listen. Remember them that are in bonds. All right, and here's how you do it. As bound with them. And them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body or in their body. Put yourself in their shoes, man. Experience what they experience. Feel what they feel. That's the attitude we've got to develop. We have to understand this is our responsibility as children of God. The love of God is to be shed abroad in our hearts. And we've seen his heart is brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. And when we're anointed by the Spirit of God or we're filled with the Spirit of God, what's going to happen is we're going to get his heart and we're going to seek to love people like he did. In Romans 12, 15, it, it tells us that, that as God's people, we're to rejoice with them that rejoice. And if we don't have jealousy, that's a very easy thing to do. And, but it also says, and weep with them that weep. Listen, it's a lot easier to fake rejoicing than it is to fake the weeping. When you're so intertwined with God's love and, and you're so filled with His Spirit that, that you've got His heart and you see people the way He sees them and you feel about them the way He feels and you weep the way they weep, then you're starting to get it. And this has been true of all, all, the, all the men of God that God has used through the years. When you, when you look at Job... God said he was, he was a perfect man. He was a, a righteous man. He, he eschewed evil or he turned from evil and he loved God. And you know how it was manifested? In the midst of all that had happened to Job, when he's confused about all the horrible things that happened to him, he says in Job 30, 25, he says, I don't understand. Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? Can I ask all of us this morning, when was the last time we wept because of the trouble that someone else was in that was outside of our immediate family? Job did. In Job 2.11, we, we give Job's friends a, a hard time, and, and for the most part, they deserve a lot of that. But in Job 2.11, it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, 
They came every one from his own place, and then it lists them, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And, and again, we give these guys a bad rap. We, they, they earned that, but in this moment, they were conduits of God's love that came to mourn with somebody that was mourning to comfort somebody that was brokenhearted. Jeremiah was a guy with a broken heart. You remember him? But he, he, he was a guy who was brokenhearted for the people of God. He was brokenhearted for the nation of Israel. And in Jeremiah 9, in verse 1, he describes it this way. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Who do we care about like that? And it's hard to even comprehend what's going on in Romans 9. Have you ever noticed how he starts off chapter 9? Here's what Paul says. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. And here it is. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Have you ever grasped what he's saying right there? He's saying, I've got such a burden and, and there's such grief that I'm experiencing for the condition of my people that I would trade places with my kinsmen and I would go to hell on their behalf. He had great sorrow and heaviness in his heart that he was willing to take their place in hell or wish himself accursed from Christ. And somewhere along the way, if we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to that of Jesus Christ, we've, we've got to capture Jesus' heart. And, and by the filling of the Spirit of God within us, we've we got to understand that we're conduits of God's love. And, and, and all of the compassion that God has, it's to flow through and out of us to the brokenhearted people in our area and of the world. And the brokenhearted, the, the brokenhearted people of the world, they don't get it. Well, they need to put their nose in a Bible and read about the love of God. Then they'll get it. Yeah, that's, that, that's great. That, you're right. That would, that would help. But what they also need is for the body of Christ to show up and meet them where they're at and be used by God to heal them of the broken heart. So if it's going to happen, we've got to capture God's heart. We've got to develop a biblical attitude about the brokenhearted. And number three, we must make a 21st century identification of the brokenhearted. We must make a 21st century identification of the brokenhearted. And, and this answers the question, who? Who is to be the focus of our ministry? There, there's an old saying that goes something like this. Treat every person that you come in contact with as if they're recovering from a broken heart. And most of the time you'd be right. Brokenhearted people are everywhere. 
the reason people do so much dumb stuff, the reason people act cold and heartless to others, in many cases, it's because somewhere down the line, their heart got broke. Something got broke, and that means it doesn't work right. They can't serve their intended purpose. They're broke. They're brokenhearted. So who are they? What, what causes a broken heart? And man, if we, we categorize what usually causes people to be brokenhearted, I think we could certainly start with death. I don't know that there's anything on this planet that's harder to deal with than losing someone that you love more than life itself. To lose a spouse, to lose a mom, to lose a dad, to lose a child. I don't know that there's anything any harder to deal with than that. Something else that tends to leave people brokenhearted is divorce. Many folks have been brokenhearted because of divorce. It's especially difficult when there's an innocent party involved. It's especially hard for that person. It's hard for the families involved. And it can leave people that need to be healed of a broken heart. Another group of people that in the 21st century are those that suffer from disease you you want to talk about some broken-hearted people head over to the local hospital head over to the children's hospital and you'll see some broken-hearted people and a lot of times it's not so much the one that's in the bed it's the one that's sitting next to him in the bed another one another one is disappointment failed dreams failed aspirations being betrayed having your children make bad decisions, and I could go on and on. Now, why do all those things cause people's hearts to break? You know why? Because everything on that list, God never intended any of us to experience. You understand that every single thing on that list entered the world because of sin? The wages of sin is death. It wasn't supposed to be like this, y'all. The disappointments are so hard because we were supposed to have it all in that garden. It's all from sin entering into the world. All of these things that cause there to be broken-hearted people all around us is because of that stinking sin. We were never intended to experience these things. So, so now, because of sin, when those things happen, it causes heartbreak. And people become brokenhearted. And, and if you want to know who they are, it's people who have experienced some of the things that I just mentioned. That's the 21st, 21st century identification of them. So if we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, first we've got to capture Jesus' heart. We've got to develop a biblical attitude towards them. We've got to make a 21st century identification of them. And then number four, we must follow Jesus' example in ministering to the brokenhearted. We've got to follow his example. This answers the question, how? How are we to carry out this ministry? The the first thing, letter A, like Jesus, we must be brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. Like Jesus, we must be brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. And and we can't just magically create that emotion and say, now I'm going to care. 
We, we have to capture God's heart, be filled with His Spirit so that we can become that conduit of His love, so that we see what He sees, so that we feel what He feels. We've got to be brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. In, in John 11, we, we find a well-known story about Lazarus. I touched on this a few weeks ago when I was kind of doing an intro to this series. Jesus knows Lazarus is sick, and instead of going straight to heal him, Jesus delays and Lazarus dies. And, and when Jesus was talking to his disciples about Lazarus's sickness, he said, this isn't unto death. So, so death isn't where this thing is going to end, but Jesus says it's going to end with God being glorified. And Jesus finally gets to where Lazarus is, and at this point, Lazarus is, is dead, and, and Martha, Lazarus' sister, runs out, and she says, man, if only you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus basically says to her, man, your, your brother's going to rise. And on three separate occasions, Jesus had communicated, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And in John eleven thirty two, here's what it says. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, watch this, he groaned in, his, in the spirit and was troubled. Why is he groaning in the spirit and why is he troubled if he knows he's going to raise him from the dead? Death is nothing for Jesus. Verse 34. And said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. So, so again, if he has this power and he, he's going to use it, then why is he grieving and groaning and weeping? It's not because Lazarus died. It's because he looks around and he sees brokenhearted people and he knows they were never intended to feel all this. It was never supposed to be this way. And in Jesus' ministry, he was brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. And when we get a broken heart for the brokenhearted, and when we groan in our spirit because people have a broken heart and it troubles us, we're on our way to having a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus. We've got to love them like Jesus. Love them like Jesus and in, in then in letter then letter B, like Jesus, we must be afflicted by their affliction. Like Jesus, we must be afflicted by their affliction. Listen to Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them. All the days of old. And you know why he did? Yeah, yeah, he loved them. But when they were afflicted, he was afflicted. 
in James chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Let me tell you what this whole thing looks like in its purest form, y'all. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. You think it means that we visit them and knock on their door and visit them and say hi and bye and check that thing off the list? No, it's being afflicted by their affliction. It's feeling what they feel. It's experiencing what they're experiencing. And then you'll be well on your way to doing what needs to be done when you're afflicted with their affliction. We've got to love them for Jesus. We've got to love them for Jesus. In other words, be his skin, be his feet. Be his arms and his hands and his fingers. We love them for Jesus. And then let her see, like Jesus, we must be touched with the feeling of the infirmities that have touched their lives. Like Jesus, we must be touched with the feeling of the infirmities that have touched their lives. Hebrews 4.15 teaches us this. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all point tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Listen, when we go through things that break our heart, and we all do, we all have, or we all will, when we go through things that break our heart, Jesus feels what we feel, and He is touched by it. And when we get to the place where we're feeling what the brokenhearted feel and we're touched by that, we're going to find ourselves in a great place to be able to minister to those people the way that Jesus ministered to them. And the point is, love them to Jesus. Love them to Jesus. Love them like Jesus. Love them for Jesus. But love them to Jesus and that leads us to letter D like Jesus we must provide healing for their broken heart like Jesus we must provide healing for their broken heart listen being brokenhearted for the brokenhearted and being afflicted for their affliction and being touched by what has touched them if we'll do that like Jesus did I'm just telling you we'll be able to take those brokenhearted people and we'll be able to give them comfort. We'll be able to bring them help. We'll be able to bring them hope and encouragement. But understand, we've got to love them to Jesus because He's the great physician and He's the only one that can heal the brokenhearted. We're loving them to Jesus. And He wants to use us to minister to those people so they see that God loves them and so they finally get it. We, we give them the story of the gospel and the love and the compassion that God has for them and we love them to Jesus. And what the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 26 is what happens to us at salvation is that great physician, he reaches down into our hearts does some heart surgery, and he gives us a new heart. And that's what people need. The healing that comes from Jesus alone through a new heart that he intends and he wants to give them. So we're to love them to Jesus and then love them in 
Jesus. We're to love them to Jesus and then love them in Jesus. So, so they get that new heart, and, and man, sure, those, are, those emotions are still going to be raw, but we, we love them as our brothers and our sisters in Christ, and we love them in Jesus, and we love them through that broken heart that they have. In, in what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, is it, it says, Blessed be God. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. We looked at that earlier, but look at verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And we love them in Jesus through all of that so that Jesus can heal their broken heart. And you know what we call that behavior? We call it discipleship. There are brokenhearted people all over the world that they need somebody that's physically on the planet that actually lives like Jesus, that will love them like Jesus, love them for Jesus, will love them to Jesus, and love them in Jesus. And in light of this verse here in 2 Corinthians 1, I love this verse. The Bible says God comforts us in our tribulation, don't miss this, so that we can comfort others. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Who better to minister to them than you? Maybe who's better to come alongside that broken-hearted person to, to share with them how God showed up for you? Maybe you've lost a beloved parent or parents, and you can come alongside someone who's lived the same thing, who's lived similar things, and you relate to them and you love on them. Maybe you've lived through a divorce and struggled through that. And there are people all over who have done that and struggled with that. And maybe 2 Corinthians 1.4 is telling you that's a place where you can minister. God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt, y'all. And He wants to minister to you in your tribulation Yes, because he loves you and that's who he is, but also so that you can minister to people that were brokenhearted just like you are and be used of God to be that conduit to love them like Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus, and in Jesus. There's something God wants to do through you. Do you realize that? As a member of the body of Christ and through the body of Christ, there's something God wants to do through you. Jesus said, God sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And now he sent us to do the same. Jesus, we, we come before you and, and we thank you for who you are. You are so incredible in so many different ways. We could go around this room and rattle off attributes and go round and round, and we'd never cover it. God, we thank you 
for your heart. We thank you that you are a God that cares enough to love, to grieve, to cry, to care. God, what an incredible blessing that that is for us. And as a result of that, you came to this earth to make the ultimate sacrifice for us. God, would you, would you break our hearts for the brokenhearted, God? Would we snap out of the days, the fog that causes us to live in our own little worlds disconnected from what is going on all around us and disconnected from what you called us to do now as ministers of you, as the body of Christ, now that you're gone. This is what you're here to do. And you've called us to be the conduit through which you do it. We love you.